Okay, today is June the 2nd, 2011. Did we set a record for heat today? Wow. Records are falling everywhere, aren't they? Just the same old thing. Pretty soon it's going to be a record when there isn't a record broken. Did you all hear about the, another hurricane? I mean, another tornado? I didn't get to see the news. Do, do they have all that many tornadoes? <laughs> okay. Let's prepare ourselves for the study of God's Word. We'll have a few moments of silent prayer, the option of rebound if necessary. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us this day. Every day is a precious gift. We don't know what each day will hold, but we have the mechanics. We have the spiritual dimensions that we need in order to face that day with courage and hope, confidence. And we can do that only because of who and what you are and your mighty grace that is given to us. So we pray that you will help us to focus and concentrate this evening. For we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. If you take your Bibles and open to Romans chapter 2, chapter 2 and verse 5, we're just going to just pick up where we left off. That verse was the last verse we touched on Tuesday night. You can see it up here if you'd like. This verse was used for the last part of our scripture in Second Thessalonians chapter 3 that we were dealing with. The Lord would guide us into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. We looked in some detail at the love of God and how he directs us into it. And then we looked at the steadfastness of Christ, that word being hupomone. It means to, by the way, it's a noun. It's the accusative singular feminine. And it means to persevere, remain under something, bearing up under Patience, endurance as to things or circumstances. We all have to have 
the ability to do this. And the only way that we can do it is by tapping into God's power, into the spiritual dynamics of this age, the steadfastness, because there was a time that it's easy not to be steadfast. This is it. And yet we can be calm. We can be collected. We don't have to fret. We don't have to worry because the Lord is going, God is going to direct us into the steadfastness of Christ. We saw that it was associated with hope in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3. It refers to the quality or character which does not allow one to surrender to circumstances or succumb under trial. I was fortunate enough when I was in sports, I had some very good coaches. And this is one of the main things that they would train us is that we could do much more than we thought we could. But you could not surrender or succumb to the pressure under trial. Football games usually are won in the fourth quarter. And <clears throat> unless you've been on the gridiron and the fourth quarter rolls around, it's only 15 minutes. What's 15 minutes? It can be a lifetime when you're completely out of juice, you're out of energy, you're hurt everywhere, and you have to continue to give it 100%. And that can, be, that can be difficult. In fact, I think the normal tendency is to throw in the towel, just to give up. But what people, uh, what it is that keeps people going so often is even with us, we had a sense of purpose. We weren't out there just to play the game. We were out there to win. And we knew what winning was all about. Because we have been trained properly, we applied what we had been taught. But there's always that time when you just have to, uh, what our coach would say is, gut it out. And that's what this steadfastness is. Even with the Lord's power, even when you are depending upon Him, trusting in Him, it still can be at times gutting it out. And if you don't have a personal sense of eternal destiny, if you don't see the purpose in it, why do it? And I think that's why so many believers have give up itis is because they don't see the big picture. They don't have a burning desire for something that is yet coming. And so that's so easy to, to throw in the towel. But we're not allowed to do that. God gives us the power but we have to be able to be willing and go forward because this, is, this doesn't mean that it's not going to be hard and it doesn't mean that it's going to um, not be suffering and sacrifice on our part. But what we see over and over in the New Testament is it's worth it. Hang on, endure, because we have to reach for the prize. And the prize is always worth it. That set up Romans chapter 2, verse five, uh, uh, 5 and 7. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, 
You are storing up wrath for yourselves in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds. Isn't it interesting that believers are going to be judged according to their deeds, according to their uh, works? Do they have any divine good that is rewardable? But also unbelievers are going to be rendered as to what their works were all about. I hope you realize that unbelievers nor believers are going to answer for their sins. That would be an impossibility since Christ has already paid for their sins and for God to make an issue out of our sins after he has already judged Christ for them would break the law of double jeopardy and it would mean that God is unrighteous. Do you know how few people know that? I talked to a guy today that was hoping that his good deeds were going to make it. Aren't you glad you don't have to struggle, struggle with that one? Verse 7, To those who by perseverance in doing good... See, there has to be that perseverance... You can't coast. Seek for glory and honor and immortality and eternal life. Now, I'm not going to exegete this. My purpose for this verse was not to go into all the ramifications of this verse because there's a lot of things that could be brought out in it. But what should come to your eye is you see that it's talking about those who, by perseverance and doing good, seek. Now, what are they seeking for? What should we be seeking for? Glory, honor, immortality, and eternal life. Now, doesn't that one raise your eyebrows a bit? We must seek eternal life? I thought we already had eternal life. I thought that that was a gift of God... Once we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that that is given to us and it's irrevocable. What is this seeking about eternal life? And that's why now we are going to go into the doctrine of eternal life. I put that marker there so I would remember where we were. Every believer should know that eternal life is a gift of God that is given to anyone who has faith alone in Christ alone and is an integral part of the gospel. I don't think we have any problems with that here, do we? If you have a problem with that, you need to see me afterwards or you need, you're in the wrong place. Preferably, I'd rather you see me. I'm saying that really kind of tongue-in-cheek because I know everyone here. I know that everyone would sign on to that. That is our foundation. Without that, we can't build. So we understand eternal life in that sense. The word, the phrase here is zoe ionios. Zoe is Z-O-E. It's a noun and it means life or to live. And ionios is an adjective and it means eternal. You put it together, we have eternal life. This phrase is used 42 times in the New Testament. Forty-two times. That's quite a few. Y'all recognize this verse? John 
For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have... And you see this is a verb, and this is the present active subjunctive. You will have it. For those who believe in the Son, you'll have eternal life. The present tense is the main thing you want to look at there. This isn't something that you're going to acquire... In the future, the moment that you believe, you have it right then. And this says, I have it here, eternal life. Most of you have heard it, everlasting life. It's the same phrase. It's zoe ionios, and they translate it everlasting life. Now, there are some that have said, and I, I wouldn't argue this point. I don't think it's really, we don't have to, to split this hair is that only God has eternal life because God is eternal. And what we really have is everlasting life in the sense that God has always had life. That's eternal. And we have life at a... We have what we call eternal life, or if you want to call it everlasting life, at a point in time, and then it's everlasting. It just goes on. I don't care about all of that. The main thing I want you to understand is that you have it based on faith. Zoe ionios, eternal life. And it is given to us immediately as a gift. <clears throat> Furthermore, we don't feel it. I know I didn't feel it when I had it and when I got it. In fact, I don't even know when I got it. I know I have it, but I don't know when I got it. It's not a feeling. And that means a lot of people don't believe that they have it unless they feel it. Feelings have nothing to do with it. I would dare say probably most believers don't know that they have it until later on where, they have, where they're secure unless the person did a good job of giving a presentation of the gospel to where they understand you have eternal life. It's eternal. You cannot lose it. That type of thing, which I think should be part of the gospel. How about John 3.36? He who believes in the Son, and we have it right here again, has, present active indicative, has eternal life, but he who does not obey, this is the New American Standard Version, and that is not the word that should be there, that should be believe. It's a-patho. Remember we saw patho not long ago? And the a-negative means it's a, it's a stubborn resistance whereby you will not believe. That's what that word means there. So whenever you, I hope that you remember this verse. It's a very powerful verse. He who believes on the Son has eternal life. But he who does not believe the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. You see there, believe. You see the present tense of have eternal life. John 5, 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me, what? Has eternal life. Present active indicative. And does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life.
You see in every one of these the word believe? John 6.40 For this is the will of my Father that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him may have eternal life. This is a present active subjunctive because the condition is if, it, if they believe then they will have eternal life. And I myself will raise Him up on the last day. Now all of these we don't have a problem with, right? This is what we understand. But I want you to notice every one of them has what word in it? Believe. That's the kind of eternal life that you're comfortable with and I'm glad you are. It's something that we need to know about. But we need to know something else. John 6:47. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Present active indicative. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Free gift of eternal life. Everybody has their blood pressure all right up to now. Let's see if we can keep it that way. Eleven out of the 42 times this phrase is used, it's used not as a gift that believers receive at the moment of salvation, but as something that must be earned or worked for. Eleven times out of 42. What is that, 28%? Something like that? Are you ready? See, if I didn't show you any verses, hopefully you would all be up in arms about it. Be good Bereans. Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. For the one who sows to his own flesh shall from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit shall reap from the Spirit, or so shall from the Spirit reap, what? Eternal life. Sowing and reaping eternal life? What's involved there? What's involved in sowing and reaping? Work. Right. Don't try to wiggle out of it. We can't slice it any other way. This is talking about working and receiving eternal life. <clears throat> Excuse me. Matthew 19:29. And everyone who has left house, houses, our brothers, our sisters, our father, our mother, our children, our farms, for my namesake, shall receive many times as much and shall inherit eternal life. Titus 3.7 That being justified by His grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. that we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Do you get the qualification there? We might be heirs according to eternal life. 
John 17, 3. And this is eternal life, that they may know Thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. Sounds like a definition, doesn't it? Hmm? You see anything about living eternally here? Whatever this eternal life is, it has to do with knowing the only true God and Jesus Christ who thou hast sent. And this is one of the clues, one of the keys right here, is that you will never have this type of eternal life if you don't know God, if you don't know the only and true God and Jesus Christ who, whom he, he has sent. You won't ever know about and our experience or have this kind of eternal life. What we're, what we're seeing is that there is more than one kind of eternal life in the Bible. 1 Timothy 6.12 Fight the good faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called. Fighting the good faith. There's a difference between having eternal life and taking hold of it. Fighting requires effort, doesn't it? Take hold of it, by the way, is the command. Do we have to take hold of the, of the type of eternal life that you're normally associated with that phrase? I mean, isn't that something that God did and it's a done deal and there's no taking hold of it? How do you take hold of something like that? It's imputed. You have it. It's irrevocable. How, what does it mean to take hold of it? Well, it's not talking about that eternal life. It's talking about another kind of eternal life. Sometimes the Bible uses a word or a phrase in a positional sense and also in an experiential sense. Is, this should start making it gel, come together. You know what positional is? That's something that happens at the moment of salvation. This is something that God does. Experientially, it takes a long time, or at least more than just a moment. It takes a period of time, and it requires work from whom? Us, right? So I'm going to, I'm going to give you some of the phrases where this is the case. Now look again. Sometimes the Bible uses a word or a phrase in a positional sense and also in an experiential sense. Some of these you'll recognize. For instance, the phrase to overcome the world. Overcome the world is in a positional sense is 1 John 5.4. Let's go to these. 1 John 5.4. Verse 4, for whoever, your Bible might say whatever, but it should be whoever is 
born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is born of God? People who believe in Jesus Christ, right? So in a positional sense, this overcoming only requires for a person to believe in Jesus Christ and God does the work. The word here for born is ganao, G-E-N-N-A-O. It's a perfect passive participle, perfect tense. Happens in the past and the results go on and on indefinitely. Passive voice, it's something you receive. No work on our part involved here, right? Something that happened at salvation, completely accomplished by God, that is overcoming in the personal sense. Oh, excuse me. Well, it is personal, but positional sense. Now turn to Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. Oh, by the way, out in your margin here, you might just underline uh, overcome and put P-S or P-O-S for positional, positional sense, something so you'll remember that. That's a positional. That's what God accomplishes. Now let's look at Revelation chapter 3, verse 21. He who overcomes... I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. You see that? What does that take? What kind of overtake, overcoming is that? Isn't that conditional? He who overcomes, that's a qualification that you must meet. And that kind of overcoming takes time and it takes effort. And so we have a phrase, overcome the world, and you have a positional sense and you have an experiential sense. The next one is inheritance. Now, this isn't a phrase. It's just a word. Turn to Hebrews 1.14. This is the interesting couple of scriptures here talking about angels. Actually, it's, it's so showing the superiority of our Lord over angels. Verse 13, this is Hebrews 1.13. But to which one of the angels has ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet? What angel did God ever say that to? None. This is showing the superiority of Jesus Christ. Are they angels? Not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those 
who will inherit salvation. You see anything there that would require work? Turn to Romans 8, 17. I don't think that Romans, we don't have a, a, oh, I mean Revelation. Okay, wait a minute. Okay, there it is. Romans 8, well, let's start with verse 16 to start the sentence there. Romans 8, 16. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Now we're talking about inheritance, an heir, and to be an heir in this sense is conditional upon what? If you suffer with him. So we have inheritance, and we see a positional sense, and we see an experiential sense. How about saved? Y'all should remember this one. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now, I don't, we don't even have to go there, do we? It's of what? Faith. That surely is positional. That's soteria. Or I guess that would be sozo. Sozo. Now turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. This is a really good one to explain, to get your point across. You'll see what I'm talking about. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15. But women shall be saved through the bearing of children if they continue in faith and love and sanctify with restraint. You may have the word there shall be preserved. The word there is sozo. Same word that you see over in Ephesians 8, uh, 2, 8, 9. So, do you see it's a <coughs> positional sense in one way. The other one isn't. And what's so great about this verse is sir, most people, every time they see the word saved or salvation, what do they think of? Eternal salvation. They're thinking of it in terms of it being salvific. That's a theological term, meaning it's relating to heaven. It's relating to the point in time when a person is saved from condemnation in the lake of fire. And this is a beautiful example of how that word can be used and yet doesn't have anything to do with that, does it? What she's going to be preserved, delivered, or saved from is from obscurity. 
If she does these things, she has her place. She will be recognized. Doesn't have anything to do with eternal salvation. So this is a word that shows how sometimes it's used in a positional sense, sometimes it's used in an experiential sense. And now we come to John 3.16, uh, excuse me, eternal life, and we have positional. Of course, John 3.16 is positional. You believe in Jesus Christ, you have eternal life. And we just went through Romans chapter 2, verse 7. It says to seek these things, including eternal life. That's something that is not positional. It's something that we are to seek. Now we're getting to some of the meat of the issue here. When a word or a phrase is used in a positional sense, God does the work. When it's used in an experiential sense, God plus man does the work. It's not just man that does the work. What can we accomplish on our own? Nada, nothing. The positional sense involves faith alone. The experiential sense involves commitment and work. And we're talking about eternal life. It's hard to get your mind around some of these concepts when you've thought about them in only one way for so long. But the Scriptures show that you can't fit that phrase in one box. It won't fit. It does fit when faith or believing is the issue and it's positional, absolutely. But when you have to seek for it, when you have to do things, when you have to take hold of it, all these things are not talking about something that's positional. It's talking about something that we have to work, involve ourselves, commitment, so forth. This is... This is interesting here. We will never be experientially sanctified or realize the full impact of eternal life unless we take hold of it, unless we take hold of eternal life. This is 1 Timothy 6.12. And the way we take hold of it is through prayer, obedience, studying of Scripture, faith resting, rebounding, all those things are how we take hold of eternal life. Studying Scripture is major there because if you don't study Scripture, if you haven't been thoroughly taught that the positional sense of eternal life is a done deal and it cannot be less than what it is, you're going to have a lot easier time of not doubting your own salvation. But if someone took you to the... You've got to take hold of eternal life. You have to seek for eternal life. If someone were to give you those scriptures and you didn't have the positional sense nailed down, then you could start, start being troubled. You have that one nailed down. I know that you do. But you have to recognize that that isn't the only way that it's used. I'm always, more and more, I see things that are used in, in this sense. Positional sense, experiential sense. If you can't understand that dichotomy, if you cannot understand through the context 
and through systematic theology, what is positional and what is experiential, it's, uh, it's nearly as important as understanding dispensations because you have to know what it's talking about. Because if you try to take the experiential and make it positional, you're in big-time trouble and vice versa. If it's positional, it's going to be talking about faith. If it's experiential, works are going to be involved of some sort. God did not send His Son in, uh, to the cross to only take care of our sin problem. He did that. He was also preparing the way for us to live an abundant life, a life of such quality that is sometimes referred to as eternal life. Eternal life sometimes means a superior quality of a spiritual life in relationship to God. That's what this is really talking about. Take hold of eternal life. We all have eternal life that was imputed to us, but how few Christians have taken hold of it. And the abundant life, I think I have a scripture under this, yeah. Uh, John 10.10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. Now we have other terms for this, but it's the same thing. We talk about the super grace life, don't we? We talk about the uh, spiritual high ground. We talk about the mature believer. All these things are really saying the same thing, but now we're seeing that the abundant life and what we are striving for, which God has done everything necessary for us to be able to achieve it, is to take hold of eternal life. Experiential. How many believers know nothing about the experiential? They try to make... That's a, in fact, that's the characteristic of a baby believer. Everything he sees, for the most part, is positional. And most, the great majority of the time, the Bible is not... The New Testament especially is not talking about positional. That's a done deal. It's important for you to understand that. But we have thus this whole life, this whole time between spiritual birth and physical death, and it's all about what we're talking about here, an abundant life. Take hold of it in a spiritual sense. You can't do that if you don't know the true God. And to know Him takes effort on your part. Eternal life is not only the gift of regeneration, but it is what the Bible calls life indeed that is cultivated by faith and acts of obedience. There's another place in the Bible, I should have put it right here, that talks about there are sons. We are all sons of God, and, and I'm saying that in a gender-neutral type thing. I mean, we're, uh, we're all, you could say we're all sons and daughters of God. But then it says also that there are sons indeed. You know who a son indeed is? A son indeed is one who has taken hold of eternal life. He sees the prize. He sees the big picture. And he's working. He's made a commitment. 
He sees that this life is fleeting and everything in it is just vapor. And the things that are eternal are invisible. Can you see the invisible? I can't see what's in store for me or for you in a, in, in, as far as an eternal sense of destiny, but we can read the Scriptures and get some eschatology and it can build our hope. Jesus Christ is returning. And Paul, Peter, James, John, all of them are saying, Hold on! I'm sorry, but this just popped in my head. And I've got to tell you, there was a song in the 60s that said, Hold on, I'm coming. Hold on, I'm coming. Y'all know that? Ever heard that? You never heard that? Where were you in the 60s in the cave? I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. No, that, that was a... <laughs> y'all, never, how many, y'all never heard that? Okay, well, anyway. (laughs) It sounded pretty good to me. I was just telling the kids Wednesday, I said, whenever you sing, sing like no one is listening. Just let it out. So I let it out. Arrows and all. (laughs) Anyway, it just came, isn't that what, that's what God is telling, hold on, I'm coming. Take hold of eternal life. Make the right decisions, it's the spiritual life that is superior to everything else. And yet, everybody just keeps trying to push it down in a box. Life indeed. 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19. Instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of good, of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. Isn't that a great verse? And we would call that super grace life, or we might call it being experientially sanctified, or we might call it what I'm calling it. I've never heard anybody call this, but I think it's a good name for it. Experiential eternal life. That's what I'm talking about. Experiential. This is in here. The Rank Joe Dillo. Quoting. He says, Every day by works, actually all as a about experience tense. Firstly, forever eternal life is something by faith alone. That says something, doesn't it? Read one time. It's where you think which can be obtained by works. And this is talking about something that is contextual. Why is it in the future tense? It's a thing to read about that. Because they've taken hold of eternal life. Not many. But on the other faith, Go on in your spiritual life and see this admonition just be constantly give has hold on deed. is earned by learning and applying God's word to the It's what we can expect if we do good works. Let's go. We're going to end on this. We don't have hardly any time left, but let's go to Romans chapter 2. You'll see this whole context in Romans here. 
Romans chapter 2, verse 5 through 10. We already got verse 7 a while ago, didn't we? Is that what we got? 5 7. Okay, 5 through 7. We're going to go 5 through 10. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God who will render to every man according to his deeds, to his works, to those who by perseverance and doing good, you see those two, perseverance and doing good, and seeking for glory and honor and immortality and eternal life. That's what set us on this course. Verse 8, But to those who are selfishly ambitious and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, wrath and indignation, that's what they can count on. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of man who does evil of the Jew first and also for the Greek. Now see, you have in, look at it in verse 5, <clears throat> excuse me, you have actually 5 through 7, you have him talking to the believer, then he's, verse 8 and 9, you have a but, now he's talking about the unbeliever, or in some cases we would be talking about the believer who has not taken hold on uh, on the eternal life and isn't interested in it and then in verse 10 we have but now we have a contrast he's going back to the believer again but glory and honor peace to every man who does good to the jew first and also to the greek and of course we're talking about divine good here you will never have experiential eternal life. You will never have experiential sanctification. You won't ever live the abundant life that God wants us to apart from producing divine good. And to even do that, you have to understand spirituality. You have to know about being filled with the Holy Spirit what carnality is, what spirituality is, how to be spiritual when you've drifted off into carnality. All these things have to take place. But we don't want to miss the fact that the Bible is encouraging us to go for it. I might even say prodding us, telling us, let's do it. He's, he's saying this is for the believer and eternal life was part of it, remember, seeking for it. And then you have the unbeliever on the other side He's going to have nothing but woe. What is, what, how did it uh, term it? It says um, wrath and indignation. And then in verse 10, but glory and honor, same thing we saw over in verse 7, to every man who does good to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Okay, there it is. I've given you something I've never taught this before. It's been, I, I've known this for quite a while. I, I, I've, I've come to these verses and in my mind I say, okay, well that's experiential. It's not talking about the kind of eternal life that most people understand. But when I was teaching that, that the, the verse in Second Thessalonians chapter 3 and that we were going to be 
guided into the steadfastness of Christ and we went to Romans chapter uh, 2, verse 5 through 7 and I saw that eternal life, it just clicked. I said, now's the time to do it. That's why we went into it so that you will be a believer who can rightly divide the word of truth. Not only for others, but for your own self. Now we will go over this again. I was talking to somebody, I can't remember who it was, and I said, when you have something presented for the first time like this, you're, you're, the wheels are turning. Hopefully, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. It, it makes a connection. You understand it. But if you went from this point right now and went out and was going to explain to somebody about experiential eternal life, maybe you could do it, but I don't know if you could do it a week or a month from now. So it takes repetition to take those wheel tracks, those neurons and everything to go into your soul to really get it to where... And, and you, know when you, you know when you know that you have it is when you're talking to somebody else and you don't go blank. I'm sure none of you ever do that, but this person does. I've done it in the past. I was so, I've, I've, I've learned doctrines before and I was so excited about them. And I would go to tell somebody about them and I looked like a blithering, blithering idiot. It was so good. So, we are out of time and we will continue next time. Let's close. Father, thank you for this time you've given us to focus upon this new dimension that we have not seen heretofore. We thank you that this is yet another way, another term, another focus for us on staying the course to reach for the goal, reach for the prize, the high calling that you have for us. We pray that everyone in this church will indeed be those that reach for the gold, take hold of eternal life. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.